Thanks for listening to the AI and IT Ops podcast brought to you by New Relic. This is Episode 1, The Full Interview. For all things application performance management, AI ops, digital transformation, and more, check out www.apmdigest.com. Our guest today is Dennis Drogseth, Vice President at analyst firm Enterprise Management Associates, also known as EMA, where he served as an analyst for 22 years, specializing in ITSM, Advanced Operations Analytics, CMDB, and more. And now, your host of the podcast, industry veteran, consultant, and analyst, Andy Thurai. Welcome to AI and IT Ops Podcast. I am Andy Thurai, founder and principal at thefieldcto.com where we provide unbiased emerging technology advisory services. IT operations are getting very complicated. Ops guys, the NOC and SOC guys are getting stressed out. Almost every business, not just cloud native business, is dependent on their IT now. Digitalization is happening faster than ever. But with siloed teams, huge DevOps and agile push, hourly and daily release cycles, and remote work. Operations teams are drowning in change and alert fatigue. They are almost reaching a point of no return. Can we save them? Or is it a lost cause? Let's find out. I have Dennis Drogseth, a principal analyst from Enterprise Management Associates and analyst firm, with me here today to discuss this further. Dennis, welcome to the show. Thanks, Andy. Glad to be with you. So, Dennis, you have been at it for a long time, aren't you? I mean, how long have you been doing AI ops? I'm, I'm guessing you were doing it even before it's called AI ops. I, I don't even know what it's called then. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. Actually, I began uh, looking at what I still consider to be this space somewhere around 2010, 2011. And what I saw were what I called overlays that... Uh, certain management technologies were uh, performance management primarily were starting to assimilate data from other tools, bring them together in a common data set and perform machine learning at some level, uh, some level of predictive analytics on them, at least anomaly detection. And it started with a lot of suites that uh, some of the frameworks or other suites, not just the, the big four, where they started to bring in through all their various sources, a common data resource with some uh, machine learning. Well, that expanded pretty rapidly actually, so that by 2012, uh, these overlays were taking in a lot of third-party tools as well. And that became a, a really, in my mind, creative space. And so I call that advanced performance analytics in 2012. And we actually did a serious examination of that space with quite a few vendors in multiple use cases. And it was before anybody called it anything else. It was before some of the bigger analyst firms came out with IT operations analytics, which was the prior name, uh, as far as I can tell, to AI ops. So glad to see that the industry got on, glad to see that things move forward. And of course, it's been an increasingly getting attention. But I think in, in some ways, the industry remains naive about how it has evolved. It's not some brand new science toy. It's been a natural evolution from the notion of an assimilative capability, looking at different sources, providing 
proactive analytics to them and supporting multiple use cases. And with that comes values that go beyond that in terms of unifying IT potentially and helping IT align better with business and business stakeholders. All that was visible, uh, I think, quite visible as early as 2012. I actually like your name better for that. What, what do you think of the name uh, AIOps? Do you uh, think it factually represent what, what it stands for? I've never liked it. Of course, uh, I have to use it now uh, because we don't, we're don't. we not a big enough analyst firm to corner the market. I've actually never liked the term CMDB all that much, but when I tried to do webinars about it with other names, we got about one-tenth of participation, so we stuck to CMDB. So I stick to AIOps today when I'm doing our, our current research, but no, I do not like it. It, it. it seems like a boxy kind of term that suggests some kind of scientific walls around it, when actually the space is very varied and very innovative. And machine learning is fairly the pervasive thought, a lot of heuristics and algorithms. AI is one of those terms that has a bit of magical meaning to different people. So I, I'm not against using AI in, in the mix, but I think AI ops kind of frames it in a more puzzling than helpful way. I kind of agree with you there. Well, my personal view is that it's kind of a crazy name. If you think about it, MLOps is about how to productionize the machine learning and the machine learning lifecycle in production. DevOps and DataOps stand for similar concepts with similar meaning, but AIOps, not so much. Well, it's too late now. By the way, the other thing I don't like about AIOps is the ops, because it's really bigger than ops. It, it can That's right. spread to support dev, ITSM, business stakeholders, uh, security. So the ops term is, is also boxy and limiting in, a, in an unfortunate way. I agree. I agree. But again, you know, like you said, it somehow it has become an acronym used by everybody. I guess we ought to play by the rules, otherwise we'll confuse the market. I'm limited in what I can change. I'm not about to change AI ops. So that's right. So given how hot this field is right now, it's it's red hot. There's how should I put this? A lot of snake oil sales out there. Everyone seemed to be an AI ops vendor now. I know you're doing a radar research report on AI ops that's soon to be published. So I want to talk about what what are the key criteria that you're using to weed out the good and the AI ops, how exactly are you measuring them? And and how many vendors, you don't have to name them, but you know you can talk about categories if you'd like. I'd love to understand that. Okay, there's a lot to the question. So I'll start with the easiest answer. We have 17 vendors and uh, still the list is not entirely complete. I, I'll admit it. One thing we did not include uh, partly deliberately because it's kind of its own space, but it's relevant. I wouldn't completely put them outside this space are the APM vendors that have advanced analytics brought into them. You know, there are a number of APM vendors that have done a lot with advanced analytics. What I'm seeing though in doing this radar is that they tend to be very complementary to the group of 17 that we're looking at now. And I'll give you the criteria that I use to select them. There are a few cases where the variations um, aren't perfect, but here's the general flow. 
looking at data from cross-domain sources, if it's just about servers or just about storage or just about purely application for that matter, that would not qualify. We're looking for the application infrastructure at some level, reasonably high volumes of data as well. Some of it in some cases coming directly through discovery and, and uh, data simulation, others through third-party integrations. Then multiple types of data, and that varies a lot in some cases by who's playing. And in fact, there's a, a couple of instances where it's not a perfect match, but generally most of the 17 are looking at at least events, metrics, time series, log data, a mix of that. And then we get on to configuration data. We get on to any cloud-related specifics. So it can vary quite a bit. Multi-domain, as I mentioned, in terms of roles. So that's the other th side of it. Uh, when we talk about cross-domain and span, I see the, the sizzle here, and, and the real power here is this is a unifier for IT, and that means that should have a human face as well as a purely technology face. And vendors that are aware of that, hopefully, are bringing role support and maximizing those values, again, taking this into a human dimension that's not just about all the heuristics, all the algorithms, all the automation, which is another important factor, but also who are we serving? What's the breadth of roles? And how can we help them move forward? In fact, in our last research, we saw that that was from 2018. That was you know, We're obviously doing the updates now in terms of real vendors. We saw that our, our deployments were looking at about 19 different roles, including domain, cross-domain, and business roles for their AI ops investments. So the you know self-learning capabilities, heuristics for prescriptive, predictive, anomaly detection, topology-related analytics, fill in the blank. We even ask about chaos theory and fuzzy logic, and we're actually getting pretty good data on what are the most prevalent of all these different heuristic approaches. And of course, beneath those more general terms, uh, you get long series of discussions about what's you know, is it Monte Carlo or whoever is what's bringing it to the fore? We're staying at the higher level. Generally, we're actually looking to track this in terms of anomaly and observability. That's the baseline. Predictive, where you can look ahead and see the future in some meaningful way. Prescriptive, where you actually can see what to do and get information and insight about how to do it. And of course, if you can hook that with automation, that's very much in the advanced mode there. And then the other more general term is if then. If I make this change, what's going to happen? If you do this, what's going to happen? Well, those are the overarching logical categories I'm looking at. Not all the vendors have terribly full support for all those areas, but they all have some level of anomaly and predictive and usually some level of prescriptive, at least if they're integrated with an IT service management platform, for instance, sometimes that, that helps the prescriptive. We talked about it being an overlay that assimilates different monitoring investments or other tools. And again, going back to the research that I mentioned, our respondents then, we had, I think, about over 300 globally. On average, we're hoping to have their AI ops investment assimilate as many as 23 different tool sets of different kinds. It includes automation, includes 
monitoring of all varieties may include, if you're uh, uh, in this group, all the APM vendors and then other, you know, cloud specific tools as well. And cloud is, was the other requirement. I required that all the vendors, yes, they have cross domain, but that they also can support hybrid cloud, at least in some level of public cloud. And I'm finding that, of course, fairly pervasive, a very growing requirement. I'm, I'm curious. So, I mean, in, you know, I've been doing some work on the AI space myself, as you know. Um, the 17 vendors, is that a final list or is it an ever-growing list or do you have to drop others because it didn't meet your criteria or how did you come up with that uh, final list? Um, it evolved and uh, I can't add more uh, because we're trying to make the project one that has a beginning, a middle and an end with some level. We actually began the initial outreach in February. So you can see there's already been a span and we've also, for all the vendors, we've required customer interviews. Uh, some are just one, others have done as many as three. So we can validate what vendors are saying, right? They can, we have a long checklist form, a 44 page form to get data on what they can do and how they can do it. And then we review that, but I wanna talk to the customers as well. So the list is gonna be held at 17, and there's always a chance that uh, one of the vendors we're in review now, I'm not expecting it, but every once in a while we get a, a vendor that pleads on their hands and knees to be not included if they don't like what they see. Uh, but so far that doesn't seem to be the case. Right, so uh, this is just a curiosity question. Um, I, I don't need names, but uh, so obviously there are this uh, classic vendors they either come from the the pure legacy enterprise, you know, ITSM monitoring background that they have been serving, and then they're trying to move into the AI space. And then, of course, there are this pure new classic built for AI apps only, or at least they claim so, kind of vendors. And then there are probably I'll call them as ancillary vendors. They are they are not a full solution provider end to end but they provide some form of a solution, whether it's uh, some kind of a data or monitoring feed into it or integration or some form or even observability portion of it. So they provide some combination of the holistic solution, but not whole. So if you had to look at your list of 17 vendors, how do you group them? Do you have a representation for all of them? How does it stack out? It's a good question. I've finished all the profiles for review but I haven't sat down to write the initial report and we're actually going to be looking at PowerPoint data to look at priorities and heuristics and other features. However, having said that, in an, a preliminary way, this may not be what I end up with when I finally write the full report. I would say there are the following general groups. Those that were the frameworks of the past that are evolving into a much more progressive form of AI machine learning. They are, however, evolving in some respects in different ways, in some respects in similar ways. And of course, they have that manager and manager's history uh, that goes with them. Then there are a parallel group of smaller vendors that are sort of manager, single pane of glass, much smaller than the big four, for instance, but have also are evolving very proactively into machine learning and AI and have the advantage of being a single platform more than a simple suite, more than a suite, so that they're a little more deployable. 
they may not have all the features. And of course, that's one of the dynamics of investing in this space, complexity and time to value and richness of functionality. And what do you need? Do you need an AI ops platform that contains within it everything you need for discovery and dependency mapping? Or is that something you get through uh, integrated third-party tools? Or is it a mix of both? And again, there's no right answer because every environment is different and has a different history. And our goal is actually to do our honest best to create a landscape where people can look at strengths based on use case amidst this high variety of flavors. In the AI ops dedicated platforms, they also come in multiple flavors. Some of them primarily assimilative. That is, they're built from third party and then bring analytics to the picture. And there's a lot of strengths with that. Others that have their own discovery and dependency mapping as well as do third-party simulation. And again, they are, but they were created as AI ops platforms, although the name wasn't present when they were first created in some cases. And then there's a, a, other varieties that are unique. IT service management affiliated might be my term, where AI and machine learning is really now becoming a high growth area, and there's some advantages in having a very close interweaving storyline with, say, a robust CMDB and CMS and other and workflow and other capabilities. And then there are unique innovators that really don't fit in any of these categories. A couple I'm thinking of happen to be affiliated in some ways with ITSM, but they're actually only affiliated and they have unique value. What they, all these vendors do have in common, if you look at the criteria I described, is that they're all cross-domain. They all provide value to multiple roles across IT. They all take in data, a rich set of data, and they all provide machine learning and analytics across it to provide proactive guidance across multiple use cases. I could see that there are a bunch of vendors, you know, moving from a classic DC situation or a data center only into cloud and trying to ramp up on that area. And some of the ITSM vendors some of the NPMD vendors, network monitoring vendors, even some of the APM vendors and, and some of the digital experience monitoring, uh, they all trying to, you know, because it's an adjacent space and their hot space, trying to evolve in that. Some are, some are faster than others. Some are a little bit slow. The AI and ITFs podcast will be back shortly. I'm Pete Golden, the publisher of APM Digest, and I just want to take a break for a minute to talk to you about New Relic, the sponsor that brought you this podcast today. New Relic has done something a little out there. They reworked everything. See, they've been actually listening when people talk about blind spots or being stuck with a dozen different tools or getting hit with hidden costs. First, they went open source, making it so you can actually instrument what you need. Then they made it so you can monitor your whole stack in one place, including serverless. You can use telemetry data from any source for ridiculously cheap, and there's one UI with all your tools. And they completely changed their pricing so you can easily predict it. This is advantageous because who has time to troubleshoot their bill, right? Best of all, there's a free tier with one user and 100 gigabytes per month, totally free. So you can really make sure it works before you pay a dime. New Relic is definitely worth another look. Check it out at newrelic.com. Observability made simple. And now back to the podcast. Again, another curiosity question. You don't have to name the vendors. But I'm curious, when you're looking at the 17 vendors... Capabilities-wise, 
real solution wise not being a snake oil do you see you know one or two standing head and shoulders above others or they all somewhat of still evolving confused mass how do you see that we have two axes on what we call our bubble charts where the vendors line up and get positioned so it's not linear and then having multiple use cases helps avoid that linearity and so and the two axes are architecture and functionality is one so that's kind of you know the all the capabilities and then time to value and cost effectiveness is the other and what happens is you really see a spread across that space where if you want everything under the sun in terms of functionality and you're willing to pay a lot of money and you have a, a high level of administrative overhead is fine you see high winners in that space and then you see other winners who are a faster time to value a little more focused or a lot more focused uh, maybe a little narrower in what they can do so i i would say that generally we see a spread and of course it, again that was one of the reasons for use case some vendors excel most of them are fairly balanced in use case but some really excel in one specific use case since i keep talking about use case the three we are looking at are incident performance and availability that's the center of the aisle for a lot of ai ops change, uh, change impact and capacity optimization as a separate one and there are some unique tools there that play strongly there that other vendors may not that could be a very distinctive use case for certain investments and the third is business impact and uh, it to business alignment now how much are they involving truly involving business outcomes business stakeholders and how much are they bringing it together to support digital transformation very progressively with clear analytics and clear visualization clear reports that's a third use case yeah i mean those those are really good solid use cases you you can go wrong with that i mean there are few more fringe use cases i see with uh, some of the vendors but uh, those are solid use cases yeah yeah uh, um, thanks andy and and i should add that uh, we also look at devops in context with both uh, performance and change and, and certainly uh, one thing we do look at it could be a whole separate use case but we're looking at it as a dimension is integrated security which we see as a growth area as well in cost management which can be a factor in looking at capacity and change in particular so all those are woven in but we're stuck to the three core use cases so this field is obviously evolving pretty fast and and you have been at it a long time well, well at least um, since about 2012 i'm sure there are a ton of changes uh, you know since it started or since you started tracking it since 2012 what what are some of the top changes or, or paradigm shifts you are seeing i think th- th- there's one overarching change which is that when we looked at the space in 2012 pretty much what we were looking at with a few exceptions actually were platform vendors of some kind they could be more centered in network or or apps or whatever but they were platform suites moving toward assimilation of not only their own suites but third party sources and providing machine learning and ai and that was kind of the general formula in 2012 what i'm seeing now are radically different approaches uh, to how to get there and for instance 
traditional, I hate to say the word, traditional discovery, maybe that's not fair, but you know, the good old discovery from IP, layer three, whatever. We're seeing innovations where topology and discovery is, is coming in directly through data behavior as, as well as traditional sources or instead of traditional sources. So that's just one example. And I'm certainly seeing a growing breadth of functionality and use case. But I also see, uh, ironically, maybe a higher level of confusion about the market because back in 2012, we thought, well, okay, we're bringing things together with AI and machine learning and common data. And now I'm seeing a much greater variety of options, different flavors. All of them can be the right thing for a given, you know, could be the right thing for you, so to speak, all depending on what you have, what you need and where you're going. That's true. I, I agree. I mean, I, I haven't been tracking that since that long, but uh, even the last few years that I've been following this and, and working on this, I agree with you. It's it's a constant changing field, and particularly when you throw in the, the hybrid cloud, multi-cloud, you know, even the cloud native combinations and the wide variety of tools that came in to support that, and some of them open for some of them enterprise. It's just, you know, it's, it's uh, changing fast to say the least. So, all right, so it's all good to talk until cows come home. But if I'm an enterprise, I'm trying to jumpstart, get a jumpstart on this, that I want to be different than others, that I, I, I got my lesson, I'm an executive, I'm looking at this. What are some of the adoption challenges that you have seen, some of the gotchas? Lessons learned from the failures and, and from the field? Lots of lessons learned and watching this evolve over the years, a lot of the lessons remains pretty similar actually. And, and they actually relate to how you actually make a strategic initiative work, right? To do that well, it's not just about buying a piece of technology. To do that well, you need to think of organizational dimensions, process dimensions, political dimensions, potentially, people who don't want to share their data, people who don't want to work differently, people who feel their jobs are being threatened. All that needs to be understood in advance of a serious AI ops deployment, just as it would in advance of a serious CMDB deployment. Now we look at, uh, when we do consulting, a triangle of, say, cultural and, and organizational structure as one, process requirements is another, and uh, technology adoption integrations is another. That's a triangle we try to get people to stand in the middle of Unfortunately, when they hire experts, they'll often get experts in just one of those corners of the triangle, right? So you can spend an awful lot of money going from somebody telling you with a lot better clothes than we wear how to change your organization to uh, someone who's an expert in, you know, ITIL or other processes to a systems integrator. And if they don't work together, uh, you're not going to have the right outcomes, that's, I think, not just for AIOps, but any strategic initiative requires that level of standing back. Once you've got that, then you also need communication. You need someone who can, it's not just about updating with an email. You need a team with good communication to promote dialogue, understand stakeholder issues, how you can expand, how you can promote, etc. Again, these get often overlooked because people step back and think, well, I'm buying a tool. And so, you know, that's it. Well, that's not it when you have a transformative kind of investment. And of course, a 
around this very idea, the notion that the executive suite can just sort of sit off in outer space and not pay attention is all wrong. The executive suite needs to be supportive and potentially engaged depending on who's driving the move. And the other is got to go from objective to objective. You can't boil the ocean in one fell sweep. So how do you progress? How do you evolve? How, How do you prioritize? All those things need to be managed proactively. There needs to be a team leading those decisions and they need to be able to work with the vendors to support that. You know, that from a purely technical perspective, AI ops issues have to do with too much complexity, which a lot of the vendors are aggressively trying to address. We still got a long way to go. How do you assimilate data? How do you train the machine learning? How do you create your reports and visualization in an easy way? How do you create policies relevant to what you need to achieve? All those things are at various stages within each of the 17, but they're all being addressed at some level. So you're telling me that the classic case of uh, people processing technology still works, huh? Yeah, yeah. I, I think people, people culture politics would be one phrase there. Yeah, yeah. After all this, I'm an executive. I want to implement. I don't have time to do all this research, read the report, listen to the whole thing. Is there, can you boil it down? Is there one single winning strategy? In other words, is there a magic silver bullet? The magic silver bullet is to recognize that there's no magic silver bullet. Because the silver bullet is actually to sit down and understand who you are and what you need and what fits you. When we ask, get asked questions about what's generically the right answer, I always think, well, are you generic? Is your IT organization generic? The answer is always no. Every dialogue I have, every deployment conversation I have has distinctive traits to it. And sure, there are things in common. So the first, if there is a silver bullet, is to, again, recognize you need to understand you, who you are, what you need, and why you need it, and where you, what are your priorities for now? What do you have already? That's where to start. So then let me ask you a question in a little different way. So there is an adjacent field. These two fields are somewhat related. They both depend on each other a lot, right? So one is obviously the AI ops that we have been talking about. And the adjacent field has been around for a while, um, IT automation, right? Now the new term, the RPA, robotic process automation has come up. So what do you think is the relationship? Can can one be done without the other? Or they do they need to excel in both? Can they start with one? How, how does it work in your experience? Well, they're very complementary, and all the 17 vendors that we're looking at, at some level, have uh, significant automation either directly within the platform or uh, through integrations or through mixed group both. And, you know, the obvious phrase there is combining insight with action. If you just have insight, that's great, but you need to act more effectively. And if you have a lot of action without insight, you might be automating train wrecks, which is not the right thing either. So we have a lot of data to show why bringing AI ops or analytics together with automation is the winning formula for both. That is to say, it enables more progressive levels of analytics, believe it or not, and it also enables more intelligent and effective use of automation. And benefits are everything ranging from faster mean time to repair to more progressive digital transformation to fill in the blank, just 
everything that moves IT forward to become a far more dynamic and proactive part of the business uh, it serves. We looked at range of automation and this research it can be everything from workflows to run book and IT process automation, configuration or alert driven, uh, and basics like integrated trouble ticketing, and then automation targeted at business outcomes. And we also looked at, you know, where are people in terms of this progressive perspective? What's, if there's a ladder, what does that look like? So we asked in some recent research about that ladder. And the question we asked was, to what degree does your organization enable automated actions to be taken based on AI and analytics recommendations? And I'll give you the, the data right now. 2% only, and this was done the end of last year, beginning of this year. So it's very current. It's pre-pandemic, but it's very current. 2% say automation is currently not coupled with AI analytics. Only two. 6%. We don't allow AI to drive automated actions, except for like regular routines, like a batch. That was, so you combine those, that's 8%. 19% say automated actions are enabled through human oversight on observable patterns. Great. The analytics tell me what I should see and do, and I can go forward from there. Um, but I have to make a decision about what's true. 46% automated actions are enabled by human oversight looking at prescriptive recommendations where the analytics actually say, okay, Joe, Sally, Harry, here's what we think you should do. Then Joe, Sally, and Harry can go and push a button and do the automation. That was 46%. Finally, at 27%, the most progressed, Automated actions are driven directly from prescriptive analytics with only the option of human override. In other words, if you have to jump in, you can, but this is all set up to happen without you. And that's a 27%. Needless to say, that 27% is not speaking to everything they do. They are speaking that they have some automation and analytics coupled at that level. So you, you did mention that it's a pre-pandemic. Um, obviously, pandemic messed everything up from people working from home, remote workforce, not having availability tools, not having a network uh, operations center, the whole nine yards. How is the pandemic affecting the uh, AOPS and automation? And more importantly, the digital transformation in general, is it speeding things up or slowing it down or is it uh, business as usual? Well, it isn't quite business as usual, as I'm sure you know. And I, I, on the one hand, I see a greater need for more dynamic, more progressive, more unified visually ways of working that don't require 16 different screens in, in a room with 20 different people. You need to have support for remote workers who can collaborate effectively and AI ops plus automation plus integrated visualization is a key way to help achieve that how that's going to evolve, and of course, uh, what's going to happen in you know a year from now, a year and a half from now, when hopefully the menace of the pandemic is at bay at least, uh, fully at bay, uh, how much will things go back to the way they were and how much will they not? That's a very hard question to answer. But I do see that digital transformation itself, the need for businesses to be digital, and the need for IT to enable digital business outcomes is greater than ever. And all the tools, including AI ops and automation at the center, primary to that uh, are critical in making a difference. And your thoughts? 
Yeah, so I agree with, with that. Um, so one of the things that have happened, I've, I've seen commonly is, if any, um, the pandemic has speeded things up. Um, so I, I wrote a piece on this recently. Companies are actually forced to cut down on their IT spend costs. Yet, uh, CIOs and the IT executives are finding a way to the more automation, the more AI ops, more by spending time more. They realize that by spending more, it'll save them on a longer run. So they are they are not cutting these projects. If if any, they are speeding it up. That's that's my experience. Well, that's good to hear. That's I think critical. I mean, right. This is not a time not to make investments. Exactly. Even if it's hard. Yeah, right. So I have one last question for you. Let's address the topic of this podcast. We started off to set out to to discuss the IT operations folks are stressed out. I recently wrote a Forbes article on the topic. So can, can this be fixed using the existing tools or, or the newer implementation tools or with, with the current, uh, current world tools? Or is it too late? What do you think? Well, I hope it's not too late. And I, from my conversations, I have to say, I don't, I get the sense of almost the opposite that, of course, I've been talking to AI ops deployments. Uh, in the AI ops deployment, I'm seeing signs of progress, progressive moves. I think it can be fixed. But of course, again, it, it takes commitment, it takes investment, and it takes all the things we talked about, awareness of human dimensions as well as technology. For our sake, I hope uh, it's not too late because, you know, every business depend come to depend on IT now. And if you can't fix it, then IT is doomed, which means the businesses are doomed. <laughs> so so for our sake, I hope it's not too late. But I, I mean, they're able to cope with that and survive. So that's that's good. Dennis, thank you so much for your wisdom. I really appreciate your time. Well, Andy, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for hosting and letting me share a few thoughts. Great. So you, you heard from Dennis. You agree, disagree, or if you have an opinion, let me know. Let's uh, discuss this further. Also, if you'd like to be part of our podcast, please let me know as well. Until next episode, so long, stay safe.